People, get ready. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of the First Sunday in Lent, March 6, 2022, from Christ Church, Jerusalem. In this world, we will face testing and trials. It is at these times, says Reverend David Pelegi, that we need to hear the voice of the Lord, not only for encouragement to remain faithful, but to strengthen our identity in Him. We should not be surprised when trials come our way, and we must be prepared. Reverend Aaron Imey starts us off by reading our gospel portion, Luke 4, 1 through 13. The gospel portion for the first Sunday in Lent is a very familiar passage, Luke 4, the testing in the wilderness. It's a tradition that when we hear Jesus, the words of Jesus, you stand to honor the Messiah. It's a good tradition. The other tradition is normally you would read it from the center of the community to remind us that the Word of God is the central pillar of our community. But we're on camera and we haven't quite figured out how to do that yet. We're working on it. But we will stand to honor the Lord. So the good news, brothers and sisters, according to Luke. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those 40 days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to, carefully, to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father in heaven, we come to you as uh, your needy children. And we ask that uh, you would send your Holy Spirit into this place and into every heart. And we ask that uh, as you taught Moses, so too that uh, the Spirit of Jesus would teach us this evening. Challenge us, encourage us, bless us. But most of all, Lord, we do pray that uh, you would empower us to live in a way that indeed glorifies you and brings blessing to others. And we do ask these things in the name of the, of the Messiah of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. I'm going to um, just um, look at the passage The gospel passage, and that gospel passage, uh, we'd like to look at it in the context of what we spoke about last week, because last Sunday, which was the the end of the uh, the end of the season of Epiphany, we always every year read the story of the transfiguration 
And um, that story, of course, is extremely significant, not only for the life of Jesus and giving Jesus, you might say, the encouragement uh, and uh, the uh, determination to head uh, towards Jerusalem. Let's not forget that Jesus was human and uh, the possibility of Jesus doubting or even asking himself if he understood God's will correctly uh, certainly existed. But the transfiguration and especially the voice that comes from heaven, that was for the disciples. And that voice is for us today. And we need to pay attention to that voice. Uh, what we tried to do last week was to find um, or to look at the ways in which the Bible, the New Testament, the Old Testament defines listening, right? The voice on the mountain says, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. What does it mean to listen to him? What does it mean to listen? And looking at various scriptures, we hopefully came to the conclusion that to listen, you might say in a biblical Hebraic sense, is a little bit different than the way that we understand listening. Because for us, especially in a Western culture, listening is something very passive or at best, uh, the way we understand it. We try to hear, and then we're going to somehow determine or make a judgment, yes, what, uh, what, we're, what we're hearing, what we're listening to. Or at the worst, you know, listening is just being quiet when someone else is speaking and not trying to uh, understand uh, what the other person is saying. But if we think of it biblically, the idea of listening, uh, which is Shema in Hebrew, the idea of listening is first and foremost intentional. Yes, it's not something that happens as you're skipping down the street, you know, <clears throat> whistling uh, a song that your parents taught you. Yeah. Sometimes actually it does happen. Sometimes we hear something or pick something up, or sometimes the Lord might speak to us uh, on such an occasion. And usually when it talks about listening in the Bible, it's something that we do with great intentionality. And secondly, it's not only intentional, the impl not, I would say, the, imp the implication, but that's maybe too weak. What it means to listen in Hebrew very simply, it's obey. Yes, listening is the same as obedience. It's listen up and do this, or now hear this. Yes, this is your captain speaking. This is what you're going to do. And so God is commanding his people to listen and to listen to that, to listen to his voice. And that's the context in which I think we should try to uh, understand, at least this evening, uh, the dual and that you might call it the dual in the desert. Yes, Jesus versus Satan uh, in, uh, in the wilderness. And that context, the context of the wilderness, the Old Testament context here, is extremely important. We will not fully understand or perhaps fully grasp what is happening in Luke chapter 4 unless we know the history of God's people and we again know something about the place of the desert yes, as a place where God speaks to people. In fact, you can... Um, we, we can begin in a way in, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, because in Ex Exodus chapter 3, we have, we have the voice 
we have God appearing to Moses. But the reason that God appears to Moses is because it says that he hears the cry. Yes, he hears the cry of his people. And when, when God hears that, hears that cry, it moves him. And uh, it says in verse 7, chapter 3, The Lord said, I have, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, so on and so forth. And so God hears the cries of the people. But throughout the Bible, throughout, sorry, the rest of the five books of Moses and the prophets and even the Proverbs, after God has heard our cry, God also expects us to listen to him. And there are numerous, um, you might say, there are numerous passages in the, in the Hebrew Bible. Um, one of my favorite is from Ex, uh, Exodus chapter 15. Uh, after the people of Israel are tested uh, by the waters of Marah, and it says... Um, at that time, the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, the word carefully, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. This incident is, you might say, is recycled or retold in a psalm. What psalm do we hear? Yeah. How about Psalm 95? Which at least we in the Anglican tradition, we pray this every morning. It says, um, it talks about the people of Israel who tested God in the wilderness. And it's, it concludes the psalm. It says, today, yes. Today, if you hear his voice, yes, do not harden your hearts. Yes. Don't become rebellious. Don't become hard. But there's that little word in there, if. Yes. If we hear the voice, if we're willing to hear the voice, if we're willing to put the, you might say, the effort in to paying attention. And I think what's kind of, you might say, what's critical for us this evening, at least, right, is this whole context of the wilderness and where Jesus uh, is being tested. Because in the Hebrew Bible, the wilderness, um, as we, as you heard, hopefully in Deuteronomy 8, the wilderness is not a very pleasant place. It is not a place that is in some way desirable. People in the ancient world, in ancient Israel, didn't say, you know, I'd like to go on a retreat. I think I'll go to the desert. Yes, I think I'll watch the beautiful desert sunsets and feel close to God. The desert was a place. We learned this not only in Deuteronomy, but in Jeremiah and Isaiah. It's a place that was dangerous. It's the place where you could easily get lost. It was a place where you could die of no water. It was a place where you could die of too much water, floods. It was a, uh, certainly a place of wild animals. Where you could be you know, eaten by a leopard 
or attacked by a leopard. It was a place where you could be bitten by a snake and not find any help. It's a place where food was scarce. So you might say that the desert was scary. It was uh, very challenging. You've all heard about the American dream, yes? Hopefully you've heard about the American dream. I don't know if it exists anymore, but the American, American dream, yes, was one of prosperity and security uh, and everybody doing well. Well, in ancient Israel, there was the Israelite dream. And the Israelite dream or the ideal or the goal for every man and woman was to sit peacefully under their own vine and their own fig tree <clears throat> and enjoy life <laughs> You know, and watch the grandchildren come and go. But uh, that was life inside the village. You didn't want to go outside the village. And yet in all of this, isn't it interesting that the place where God sins, yes, and virtually nobody goes by choice, the place where God is going to send virtually every major figure, every major character in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, God's going to send them or even push them into the desert. And it begins with Abraham, who is given the whole land of promise, but lives on the periphery, whether it's the Jordan Valley or the area uh, around Beersheba, and his sons, and then uh, it's Moses, and then the whole children of Israel are uh, find themselves yeah, in the desert, and then it's Joshua, and uh, of course it's David, and uh, it becomes Elijah and Elisha. Jeremiah is our desert prophet, yes, and it's John the Baptist and Jesus. You know, in Luke's gospel, it says Jesus is led into the wilderness. In Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus is pushed, forced, driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And of course, we have Paul going to the desert as well. And so the desert ends up being God's training ground. This is God's seminary or God's Bible college. And I don't want to in any way diminish the importance of seminary or learning the Bible in an academic setting. But if you want to be prepared for ministry. Yeah. A Bible college or a seminary is only part of the training. Yes. Because when God sends or pushes people into the desert, yeah, he sends them there to, to really you know, to humble them and then also to teach them. And I think it's pretty easy for us to see what he wants to teach them. Yes, he wants to teach them to, uh, to rely or to depend upon him, even in the, you know, the most unlikely circumstances. I always, um, at least once a year, I like to, to, to mention that Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, was not written, you know, about the hillsides of Wales. And it was not written about New Zealand. In fact, some of you have in your Bibles, you know, pictures. Maybe you have a picture. Of, and in that picture, you have a picture of some very fat white sheep, and they're on a hillside, and they're very fluffy, and they're very clean-looking. And it says at the bottom of the page, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Or you might have a picture like that in, in your church office. If you do, I would like you to tear it out of your Bible now. And I'd like you to walk into the church office on Monday morning and rip down the rip it down and then offer to pay for the for the damage that you've done. <clears throat> because it's a stinking lie. It's a lie. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is written about the Judean desert, where it rains, if you're lucky, two inches a year. If you're lucky. And if you can say, like David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the context of a desert, where things are frightening and food and water is scarce, where there is a danger of death daily, where lawlessness prevails because there's no county sheriff and no district attorney enforcing the rules. If you can say that, you've come to a place of great faith and confidence and in understanding that God's economy and the way that God works isn't how the world works. It's easy, is it not? to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, in a land full of shopping malls and in countries, you know, where Amazon Prime really works and you can get delivery, you know, within 24 hours of your order. Well, now they can deliver by drone, so maybe you can get delivery in four to six hours. That's not what God, that's not what God is teaching his people. And of course, every one of those great biblical greats who had, a, you might say, who had some kind of vision or some kind of calling, you know, have that calling tested. But you know, there's something else about the desert. And that something else is that, that something else is this. In fact, you, you hear it in the Hebrew. The word, the word for a wilderness or a desert is midbar. Midbar. The word for a thing or a spoken word is the word devar. Yes? And what you have often, it's an alliteration, you have the devar, God's word or, or a word, that is spoken in the desert. And I don't know if you've noticed that so often in Scripture, yes, the place where the Lord speaks to people <clears throat> is in the desert itself. Yeah. Where there are no distractions, where all of a sudden there's no appointments on your eye, Cal. There are no meetings to go to anymore. No one's calling you up for favors, to quote a line from a song. <clears throat> Nobody, <clears throat> you know, is demanding you come to a meeting. All of a sudden, nothing is happening. Yes. All of a sudden, you might say, if you want to speak metaphorically, now, when, when we run into trouble or to transition or to challenges or we run into fear and then things aren't going very well for us, guess what? Just like those greats who went into the desert, all of a sudden we stop and think, hey, why is this happening to me? Lord, what are you doing to me? And we begin to pay attention to the word of the Lord. We begin to pay attention, yes, to God speaking to us. But it so often happens when we're stripped of our distractions, and it so often happens, does it not, when there is trouble when there is difficulty. <clears throat> because before, we're too busy to ask the Lord. 
And obviously, if things are going well, we think to ourselves, well, what do we need? Why do we need to hear the voice of the Lord? Why do we need his guidance? I'm doing okay. Yes. And so the desert is a place. The desert is the place. Yes, where we um, more often than not hear God's voice and we hear God speaking to us. And now we have the story of Jesus in the desert. Jesus goes there and he's tempted by the devil uh, in scripture uh, and in popular folklore throughout the Middle East. The, the desert is, is uh, understood to be a place where uh, there is a um, stronghold of the demonic that we can't address at the moment. And the desert, the, the, the devil comes to Jesus and his uh, temptation, you might say, or his challenge to Jesus um, can be summed up very nicely by a, a well-known uh, Catholic priest by the name of uh, Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen said, Satan gives three challenges to Jesus. And those three challenges is first and foremost, hey, Jesus, you know, you need to be relevant. You need to, to address the current need, uh, the current need that you have. So the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. You know, this is what you need at the moment. Come on, work a miracle if you are the son of God. Or maybe the Greek says, so now that so that so you're the son of God, make this make this happen. And of course, there is this temptation to be powerful. So the devil takes Jesus up to a high place. And in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world are revealed to him. And he says, if you will give I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you will worship me, it will be yours. The temptation is be powerful. Just think all the good that Jesus could have done with that power. Yes, I'll just worship the devil and, you know, I can have all this power and I can do God's work and do God's ministry. And of course, there's always the temptation, right? Do something spectacular. I would say do a Harry Houdini, but I don't think most of you would know who Houdini was, right? Do something spectacular. And so uh, the devil takes him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. I think that's the temple building itself. Uh, and then it says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Yes, throw yourself down. And so, so the devil comes and the devil, will, of course, will always attack us. And the devil will always tempt us where we're weakest. And those temptations, especially those temptations, especially uh, are weak points for leaders. Right. Those in ministry are those who lead a community, even those who who lead a nation. I think for those who may not be in leadership, you know, the temptation is more often not goes like this. Yes. Or the challenge that we receive from the devil. Why do you want to be different? Why do you want to stick out? Why do you want people making fun of you on social media because of your faith or because of your refusal to engage in this kind of immorality or that kind of talk? You know, just go along with everybody else. Don't let anyone down, you know, or don't disappoint your family. Yes, just fit in um, to go along. But 
whether you're a leader or whether you're a follower, I think there's even a bigger temptation. You might say a bigger challenge. There's a bigger, you might say there's a bigger issue at stake. Uh, and Jesus is being challenged by the devil. And I think we face the same challenge day in and day out, especially in the age that we live. And that challenge is to our identity. The devil is saying, if you're the son of God, you know, if, are you really? Well, if you are, then you should take a shortcut. Uh, or you should hurry up and don't do things God's way. <clears throat> or later, Satan is going to try to prevent Jesus from going to, to, the, to Jerusalem and, to, 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 and going, to <clears throat> going to the cross. And you should meet the expectations of the world. You know, and uh, don't let people down. Show them, you might say, show them who you really are. And you know, all those greats that we spoke about a minute ago, starting with Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, etc. All of them are, when they're forced into the wilderness, the challenge that they have is to ultimately is not just food and water, as important as that may be. The challenge that they have is to their identity. Moses, you know, Abraham, he is going to be the father of many nations. And he's scrapping around in, you know, the Negev. If you've ever been to Beersheba and the Negev, I don't want to get in trouble with the Chamber of Commerce or the mayor of that city, but it's a pretty, well, at least it once was, a pretty desolate place. And there is nothing, you might say, very special about it. But where's God's blessing? Or you're Moses and you're raised in Pharaoh's court and you have a miraculous deliverance at your birth, et cetera, et cetera. And what, you're 40 years and nobody? A nothing? You know, you can't even produce a business card to say you're a wandering shepherd. Or what about David? He is anointed and he runs around like a bandit, runs all, you know, also sort of in the Negev or, or in the south, southern part of the country. Or Elijah, he just brought fire down from heaven. The next thing you know, he's running like a scared puppy. No, maybe a scared cat. I don't know. Um, try, trying to save his life because mean old Jezebel is after him. Where is this mighty man of God? What's happened to him? And Jesus, he's baptized in the Jordan. He's full of the Holy Spirit. The voice of God affirms him. And now he's in the desert, fasting, being tested, being tempted. And it's no different for us. Yes, we who are believers, yes, are adopted into God's family. We're God's children. And yet when trouble comes along and difficulty comes along, yeah, you know, we, we sometimes doubt or we waver, or the world looks very appealing to us, and we're just not sure of our identity anymore. And that really is the challenge. Yes, that is the challenge. You know, it's who we are, and it's who we are and who we understand ourselves to be. <clears throat> that is going to determine how we live. See, it's very interesting, isn't it? Um, Jesus, in being, in being in the desert, no one was watching. He could have turned those stones into bread, not told anyone, had a few falafels. <clears throat> yep. He could have, uh, you know, jumped off the temple, maybe, surely, it seems that God would have saved them. Maybe not. 
Um, but uh, because of because of that identity, right, he remains faithful and obedient, even though in, even though no one watches him. Right? It's that audience of one. Right? So our identity and who we are will determine uh, in a way more immediately and in a stronger way how we live, how we behave. What we believe theologically is secondary. We're always trying to work on people's theology. Get your theology right. It's important. But we also need to work on identity. And we need to know that uh, our identity is being challenged. And how is it that Jesus lives out that identity? I believe that he lives it out because he hears and knows, yes, the voice of his, he knows the voice of his heavenly father. And that voice of the heavenly father may be that well, it was an audible voice on two occasions. It may be a voice um, that um, somehow he's, he hears a, the word of the Lord in his heart, for sure. Um, by the way, we know at a very young age, Jesus already has a very strong sense of his own identity. We know that from the story of uh, Jesus being lost in the temple. Yes, he has that strong identity. But where does the identity come from? And can I just remind you for a moment that just two chapters back in Luke, right? Luke tells us that the parents of Jesus were righteous, that they weren't only righteous, but they were godly, and that they observed the scripture, and they observed the commandments. Uh, and that they lived out for him, his mother and his father, what it meant to be faithful to God, right? So Jesus is brought up in an atmosphere that's very reverent, that's saturated with Scripture. Not only did they read Scripture in the synagogue, he most likely memorized large portions of Scripture in some sort of village school uh, when he was younger, it seems to be the case because the way he can he can quote the text. So you can see that Jesus, you know, has had that identity strengthened and affirmed again by being saturated uh, by being saturated in in the Word of God. But then you might say, yes, if that's the way God is speaking to me, but doesn't the devil? quote the Bible as well? And how would I know the difference? How would I know the difference? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, the devil will always misquote the scripture. So someone who comes to you and just gives you a Bible verse and gives it to you out of context, uh, and Jesus immediately understands you know, how the devil twists scripture. And so, of course, Jesus can quote scripture back to him, but it has to be quoted back in the right way because just quoting a Bible verse, if it's misquoted or misunderstood or misapplied, it has no power. Yes, it has to be used, uh, it has to be used rightly. And I would say that the, the that, that, the, hearing the voice of the Lord as opposed to hearing the voice of the devil is that the voice of the Lord comes with authority, all right? And he comes from God himself through God's word as he preached or interpreted, yes, by people, by people who've earned that authority, who live out, yes, who live out what they say, or who live out what they teach, right? And that distinguishes automatically, that should, that should separate us from a lot of, uh, I don't know, cults or, or people who are misquoting, right, who are misquoting the, the Bible. And the, the authority has to be earned. The authority has to be earned. 
And the way that the scripture is going, the way that the scripture is interpreted, or the way that the scripture is going to be preached or taught or even lived out has to be that it's going to lead to faithfulness or it's going to uh, uh, encourage us, yes, to pursue holiness. I always get worried when someone says to me, I've been looking through the Bible trying to find out where it says uh, you, can't have an, you, uh, you can't have an abortion, and I don't find it there, so I think it's, it must be okay. Because that kind of approach is scary. Yes, that kind of approach is frightening. And so, yes, people will come and twist the Scripture, People will come and misinterpret the scripture. And obviously, we have to be very careful. But again, we have to hear God's voice. We have to hear God's voice because otherwise, when we're challenged, when we find, when we face difficulty, uh, when we get into trouble, you might say, when fear overwhelms us, Yes, we, all of us, need to hear the voice of the God, voice of the Lord. We need his encouragement. We need his guidance. We need his instruction. We need to inter- make an effort to listen to him. We need to make an effort to, to listen to him so that we're not deceived by our culture. We're not deceived by the world. We're not deceived by the, uh, the Satan himself. So we're not overcome by fear or we're overcome by anxiety. Yeah, we just need to say, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us. And by the way, when God does speak, he, 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 when he speaks on Sinai, he speaks to the whole nation. When he, at the baptism, lots of people hear the voice on the mountain of transfiguration, not just one person here, one person hears the voice, but it, the three chief apostles hear that voice. So God will, if God speaks to us, he'll always speak to others. And finally, let's say one more thing. You know, we're coming to Easter soon. And when we come to Easter, we come to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the garden. Uh, and he's with his disciples. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that, uh, of course you've noticed, that the disciples don't pray. I mean, the disciples not, don't pray with Jesus, and they fall asleep. And Jesus is surely disappointed with his disciples. He's disappointed. Now, why is he disappointed? Because they, they were exhausted they were full of sorrow. I mean, that's kind of human, right? He's disappointed, yes, that they don't, you might say, prepare themselves or they don't, they're not ready yet for what's about to happen that night. You're not ready for the difficulty or the or or the trouble that's going to come with the arrest of Jesus they're unprepared they're unprepared because they don't have that relationship or they don't make that effort to hear or to listen and my dear friends whatever happens to us in life no matter how many blessings we have each one of us will always come to this place of the desert or a place of the wilderness. And in the wilderness, yes, God, we will be tested. Our calling will be tested. Yes, our understanding of God's faithfulness will be tested. And we should be ready. And further, the world in which we live the world in which we live is going through an unusually difficult time. It's not only what we find in the Ukraine, uh, but 
you know, that you can simply turn on the cable news uh, and find some pretty frightening developments uh, virtually in every corner of the world. And who knows what's going to happen to the economy uh, and the price of food and the price of fuel uh, and so, so on and so forth. And many of us in the West, we've had great uh, long period of prosperity and security. It's not true for every part of the world. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we're also being tested. And I'm not predicting the end of the world, or I'm not saying that it's Ezekiel 38, and I'm not, I don't think people should walk around in fear and intrepidation. What's going to happen next? But you know, in the words of the old Curtis Mayfield song, people get ready, is that we should be ready. We should be ready for every eventuality, right? We should be ready for every eventuality so that when we're tested, yes, we can be confident, yes, that uh, we will not be overwhelmed by fear or we will not be tempted to take the easy way out, yes, to, to be unfaithful or to be disobedient, yes? People get ready. And um, I think that should be, surely that should be the approach. And I think that's what we learn from Jesus. Again, someone who knew the voice of his father, especially as it spoke through the scripture, which is why we want to take Bible study very, very seriously. I'd like to say one final thing. <clears throat> we were tested lately. We were tested, and that testing was the pandemic. And people always ask me, does, does it, did it come from God? Did God bring this? And I always say, I'm not, I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. It was a test. And some people, some communities passed the test, and others did not, because others allowed the devil in. And when the devil came in, he brought division, and he brought disunity, and he brought anger <clears throat> and hatred, and he brought arrogance. People trust the science. I'm not trusting the science. I know better. No, no, science does. He, yes, he brought dissension, and communities broke up. The church in many places, not every place, was a very bad witness. Not that you had to agree with one side or the other, but still the way that we treated each other and the way that uh, we were um, disunited, it was a test. And as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it really showed us who we are and where we're weak where we need to repent. And the next time there's a test like this, hopefully, yes, we won't make the same mistakes. We won't dishonor the name of the Lord. Yeah. Okay, by the way that, um, the way that we treat each other in the body of Christ, or the way that we even treat outsiders who didn't agree with our position about the vaccine, or even our politicians, Yes, and people were either hysterical or they were rebellious. It was a test, and we did not, do, we did, not everyone did very well. And there will be more tests and more tests, and uh, perhaps even we will find ourselves in, in uh, more and more dangerous times. Will we be ready? Will we be prepared? If we're listening regularly to God's voice, yes, it speaks to us in different ways. But if we're willing to incline our ear to pay attention and then willing to be obedient, I think we will be. Let's end with two scriptures, both from Corinthians. And here we read as follows. 
Paul talking about t- telling the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, talking about the lesson, uh, about the, what happened to the people of Israel in the desert. He said, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Yeah, you're very comfortable and think everything is okay. It said, no temptation or no testing has seized you except what is common to human beings. And God is faithful. He will not let us be tested beyond what we can bear. But when we are tested, he will provide a way out so that uh, we can stand uh, stand up under it. And again, I want to, to Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself, see whether you are in the faith, test yourself. Yes, do not, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So, Father in heaven, we do pray that uh, when we are tested, that uh, we, your people, will, found, will be found to be faithful. We will uh, not collapse in fear. We will not become confused. But, Lord, that instead that we will turn to you and uh, submit ourselves to you and learn those things that uh, you want to teach each one of us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the city of the king.